Welcome to season four of the Dynamic Leader podcast. My name is Shelley Flett. I believe that leadership at its core requires strong relationships, the ability to sit in a space of genuine curiosity and the courage to build capability in others. I believe great leaders are lifelong learners, and so my intention is to help you to continue your learning journey by bringing you new perspectives from experts in their field. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another Dynamic Leader Conversation. Today's topic is on inclusion and diversity. Uh, I know recently we had a conversation about International Women's Day, um, and today is going to Um, look more broadly on um, the challenges and I think obstacles we face around inclusion and diversity more broadly. Uh, I'm definitely not an expert in this space. And so my guest today is Brenda Harrington, uh, and she is the author of a newly released book called Access Denied. Uh, She's also a certified executive coach and founder of Adaptive Leadership Strategies. In her coaching practice, some of the circumstances that she encounters with clients and within organisations involving diversity, inclusion and acceptance mirror experiences that she has had or has been aware of over the many years. She knows that in the absence of mentors and sponsors, professional obstacles can be much more formidable. Um, She's got a lot of experience in the um, corporate space and life in general and I'm so um, grateful to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us, Brenda. Thank you so much for inviting me, Shelley. Pleasure to be here. So um, you've had a few decades of experience in the workplace. You're being very kind, yes. <laughs> a few decades in life. Um, how, and if we can jump straight to the topic of diversity and inclusion, how have you seen the conversations evolve over your lifetime? Wow, evolve, that is, uh, that's an interesting adjective to use. I would say that there's definitely more awareness. You know, I, I can certainly think back to a time where people didn't think a lot about it. We were very accepting. Of, well, most people were very accepting. You know, this is just the way things are, right? Everything from gender diversity to racial diversity and, and nationality and everything, you know, in between. And and so, you know, when you, when you think about the evolution, I think in terms of awareness, and so, you know, clearly for many reasons, everything from formal and regulatory mandates to just events and social media and all the things that, that we have at our fingertips today that we didn't have 30 and 40 years ago, the awareness is there. And now the question in my mind is, what do we do? Yeah. Do you um do you feel like we've progressed as quickly as what we could have like I would think it'd get a little bit frustrating a little bit tiresome having the same kind of conversations we've definitely progressed and it is definitely exhausting okay uh and and there's something I I refer to it kind of at a high level in the book called allostatic load that talks about the you know continuous and perpetual impact uh, and 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 the stress producing element that it is to continue to to kind of have these same conversations, kind of fight these same fights, if you will. Uh, so yes, there's been there's been progress. I think the question is how progress is one of the questions is how progress is measured. It's easy for people to say, 
you know, there've been X number of female CEOs and there've been X number of, of black, you know, leaders and, 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 and representatives and things like that. But when you compare that back to the population and when you compare that to what people would be, would, would consider the norm, if you will, it's, it's really minimal. So, yeah. And so how should we be measuring progress? It, should it be based on population and percentage of? I think in part, I think in part based on population and percentage of, and, and just basic, you know, uh, equity with regard to opportunity. You know, there's so many barriers in place, structural barriers, and, and, and people, you know, have their own reactions to terms like structural racism and things like that. But, but there are so many fractures when it comes to that question of equity. And I, I, I don't think that people realize how much that impacts the, you know, the opportunity to really be competing or, or playing on a level playing field, right? There, there are multiple levels of standards, if you will. And so, you know, for people who, who don't have the same access and opportunity, uh, there's really there's really a significant disadvantage. And so how do we start to recognize that? Because, you know, as leaders in organizations, you often feel like there's only a certain amount that is within your control and that a lot of it is top down um, and comes from, you know, executive strategies. And you hear quotas and things and being bounced around and, um, it's, it all sounds like we're doing the right things, but I don't, I, I feel, I feel disconnected from it. I feel like I'm like, I'm missing something. What is, what is that? And what can I do about it? There's so many layers to that, Shelly. I think that first of all, it depends on what level of le- leadership we're talking about. So if we go straight to the top, you know, and, and really think about the C-suite and, and organizational leaders in the truest form, you know, what What do we want our organization to look like? What does our client base, our customer base look like? Is our organization a reflection of the clients that we serve, the people that we do business with? Uh, I think there's got to be a foundational appreciation for what diversity brings. And I'm talking about gender, race, nationality, culture, all kinds of things, right? There are a lot of people that truly believe at their core that that there's one best way and everything else is compared to that standard, all right? And I think that that plate has got to break in order for people to really be open to the true meaning of diversity. For a lot of people, you meant you use the term quotas, that means, well, you know, we have a certain percentage of, of, of this group and we have a certain percentage of women and this, it's not about how many, it's 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 really about to what extent they are engaged and 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 to what extent they're participating in the fabric of the organization and that that's where we really have a lot of work to do i feel like i don't have a clear picture of what and i don't know whether this exists anywhere so for me to understand a concept that is new 
And I know this is not a new concept, so I don't want to delimit that. But for me to understand what a truly inclusive and diverse workplace looks like, I need to have some point of reference. And I think sometimes what's missing is that, like, what is there a metaphor for it? Is there a, is it, does it exist anywhere? Like, is there some place that we can go? It's like that. Because we talk about making progress and this ideal that we want to achieve. But I don't understand what that is exactly because I don't think I've ever experienced it or maybe I have and I haven't noticed or I'm being very, no, very sort of naive here. And <laughs> No, 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 no. I, I think it's an interesting question. I don't know that there's any one flavor, if you will. You know, when you walk into uh, a room of, of senior executives and you and you look around the table, you know, and 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 you look just at the the, the balance, if you will, of, of, of men, of males, white males, you know, females, you know, and then and then you go on to race, you know, that that might be a starting point. It's interesting to me to walk into conference rooms and boardrooms of, of organizations and institutions and you look around and, and you look at the portraits, for example, that are on the wall and, and people that are recognized as part of the organization's his, history and they all look the same. They all look the same, all right? And when you look at, well, you know, certainly in the last couple of years in particular, it's easy to 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 Photoshop or 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 do whatever with advertising, right? And to 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 make that appear to be more diverse. But how does that really show up in the in the fabric of of an institution or an organization? If we zoom out and even think about cultural diversity. In, in, in a broader sense, you know, I think of companies that are not necessarily global organizations, but they're more international organizations. So they have a, a home base, say, in the, the continental U.S., and then they have offices throughout the, the world. Are, are they acknowledging holidays and, 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 and special seasonal you know, uh, remembrances and observations in other parts of the world, or is everything mandated by by a U.S. calendar? You know, things like that. So it's really just holding a space for for everybody that is in that in that environment: employees, clients, strategic partners. And, you know, there's so much research that points to the value of diversity, diversity in thinking, diversity in ideas and things like that. But that's only possible, going back to that C-suite, if the people at the top believe there's value in diversity. And so what you've spoken about is they seem obvious. So look around the room, look at the, the diversity of the people sitting there. That doesn't always translate to contribution and them having equal say or having their ideas and how do you see when you do have the diversity in a team when you look around the table but you still don't have diversity of ideas because there's expectations of conformity or there is biases that are taking place how do you deal with that always at play it does it does translate to opportunity though it does translate to opportunity and you're right i mean in some cases 
yeah, the people are there, but they're just figureheads. You know, they're 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 there be, so that a box can be checked to say, you know, well, we have two members on our board, or we have whatever it is, we have representation, and that's really the difference between well, one of the differences between you know a conversation around diversity and true inclusion. All right, but I but I do think that depending on the the domain and the environment, it's it's pretty evident when uh, there are voices, there, there, there's diversity in, in the voices, in, in the decision-making voice, I should say. Yeah, yeah. You know, it begins to show up in, in policy and approach and, and a lot of different ways. And so how do, how do leaders make sure that, you know, they've got the diversity box checked, like they've got that, how do they make sure that they're being inclusive all the time? And particularly, you know, if I'm talking that um, layer down from C-suite, so you're talking middle senior leaders who have enormous amounts of things going on, they're all busy, none of them have time, they're struggling to be present in conversations um, anyway, they want things to go quickly, is when you start or when you're operating from an inclusive space, you kind of have to slow down, don't you? Perhaps initially, but it's got to be a priority for you, you know, and anything that you make time for anything that's a priority, right? Personally or professionally. And so I think that it's got to be a priority on the part of the organization and certainly on the part of that senior leader who who's reporting up to, the, the CEO or, or whatever it is. This is where, you know, I get into a lot of conversations about hearts and minds, right? Can we change how the way people think about things? Can we change how people feel? I would say, no, you, you cannot change an, how another person feels, what another person's values are, but you can hold them accountable for certain types of behavior and, and, and certain types of results. Okay. And so, you know, that awareness that, you know, everybody on a particular team looks the same and, and there is no diversity, perhaps that's something to pay attention to. Or maybe there's only, you know, one person on a team of 10, you know, one one woman or or one uh, minority, you know, member of the team or something like that. It's really important to make sure that 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 they're not just there as a representative, as a token representative, but that they're engaged, that they're having the same access, that they're having the same, that they're getting the same visibility. Uh, people, people are most comfortable with people who are who are like them, okay, who are familiar, who they're comfortable with, and it's uncomfortable to really get to know and understand someone who's different. And I think we all need to learn to get comfortable with that discomfort. Where does that start? Being curious, asking questions, not being afraid. We had a terrible situation here in the United States over the last couple of days. I don't know if you heard about it. Uh, Kansas City, Missouri. A uh, a young man was going, a teenager, not even a young man, 16 years old. His mother asked him to go. 
and pick up his twin brothers. Twins must be, I don't know how old they were, they're younger, nine, 10 years old, from a friend's house. And in an in interview with the mother earlier today, I heard that she was saying that, you know, she's not in favor of sleepovers because of all the things going on in the world and she doesn't really know parents and things, but she will allow the twins to, to, to have extended playtime with their friends. So they were at a friend's house. She asked the older son, 16 years old, to go and pick them up. And he got the address confused. So the, the, the house number was the same, but he was on the, whatever the name of the street was, he was at, on whatever terrace instead of the, the street. He rang the bell, expecting his brothers to come out. And the homeowner opened the door and was afraid of him on sight and shot him twice, shot him in the head and then shot him in the arm. Thankfully he survived, but he went to three other houses. I don't know how he was even able to move. He went to three other houses to get help. It took him to get three other doors before somebody would help him and call 911 and get him the attention that he needed. So that inherent fear, you know, that's an extreme example. It's a, it, it's top of mind for me because it's right here. It's just it's happening now, right? Um, but but that kind of fear, on site, you know, he was just standing there. He ne they didn't even exchange words, and 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 the initial reaction is you're here to harm me, right? And so we've we've got to try to move some of that aside, and be willing to be curious and at least attempt to get to know each other mm. and attempt to figure out where we might be aligned in terms of values and interests or have something in common. I think if we do that, we begin to do that. I can say that most times I've, I've been able to do that. I find, I find that we're more alike than we are different, mm. but you know, we, we rush to judgment and, there's guilt before before any opportunity for innocence. Yeah, it's certainly a terrible um, situation. Um, what do we, when you think about same versus different, this is where I'm also a little bit, I don't know how to approach this um, because there's, to your point, there are so many similarities, but there's also a lot of differences. And so... How do you, um, and I think one of the things that I work with leaders on is moving away from this absolute, like it's either on or it's off or it's true or it's Right, exactly. False. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, how do you go, we're not all the same, we're not all different. There is similarities and differences and how do we start to recognise and navigate conversations around both? And, and the movie that I think of is Little Fires Everywhere, which mm. um, is about, trying to assimilate, um, you know, people of colour with white people and um, and even that, I'm not even sure if I've said that the right way, <laughs> with respect to it. Um, that are put in a community and expected to just all get along and that creates its own friction and drama. And I found it really fascinating, but then going, well, how do you, how do you navigate that? So that goes back to what I said earlier, you know, there, 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 there is a faction <laughs> that believes that, you know, there's one standard 
and then everything else is in comparison to that standard. You know, it's as if I if I invite you over, you know, for coffee and I say, here's Shelly, here's a cup of coffee with uh, cream and one sugar. I'm making a broad assumption that that's that's the way you take it, because that's the way I like it. Right. It's as easy for me to say, how would you like your coffee? Right. So so going back to that mindset of curiosity and not just assuming that things should be a certain way and really be willing to hold a space for what those differences might be. Okay. And and you use the term assimilation. This is what we've been, I'll say, subjected to for so so long. You know, the idea that, you know, I've got to assimilate and you heard the term, I'm sure, code switch and, and do all these things so that I'm as much like this group of people, you know, that that has been set as the standard as I can be, no longer being able to be myself or bring myself to work. Okay. I've got to be like that in order to have a chance at being taken seriously, being included, you know, just, just being, being able to be engaged in a meaningful way. And, and that's, that's egregious. (laughs) I mean, you know, there's just, there's just so much of an opportunity to, to take a different approach to, to, to that kind of a circumstance. And that's, you know, so when you talk about evolution, I mean, that's very much the way things were and have been for a very long time. I think we've come away from that, but there's some uh, environments, many environments where that's still pretty pervasive. And so how do we, um, how do we get past the, um, you know, growing up where your mom kind of elbowed you and said you can't ask that or don't say that when you you had questions and you were told no no you can't do that that's inappropriate that you go I love the idea about being curious I don't know when my curiosity becomes rude or inappropriate (laughs) I hear you I hear you and it can be very uncomfortable I think a way to do that is to ask permission may I ask you a question do you mind if I ask you a question yeah yeah Yeah. And to really just share your intent. I think people, for the most part, particularly in a work setting, in a professional setting, know the difference between, you know, meaningful, constructive curiosity, I'll call it. We'll, we'll make up some new phrases here today. How's that? I love it. Uh, and, you know, and, and someone, you know, being offensive, okay, uh, there was a time that we just didn't, you, you don't ask those questions, you know, you leave it alone. But I, I, I think that I, I, I'm not, I don't condone that. I don't condone that. I think that if you are respectful and you approach a person in a, in a, in, in a particular way and, and ask permission, you know, that begins to open the door. So um, what if it is you and I having a conversation and me kind of going, I I might say some things that I'm completely oblivious to that cause offense. And I would love for you to let me know when I do that. Yeah. Is that, is that some, is that part of how we start to open up these conversations? Absolutely. And I've had several people say that to me, you know, I, I, I want to apologize if I say anything the wrong way or that's off putting, you know, my, my intent is just to learn. 
And I'm fine with that. Some, you know, sometimes I am pretty surprised by the questions, but you know, they've, they've, they've taken the right approach. I, I acknowledge and I recognize that it's frightening. It's uncomfortable, but it's a start. It's a start. Yeah. Uh, Cause I guess all we have is our own perspectives and it's not until someone, um, disrupts our thinking that we start to think more broadly and you know if I think about metaphorically what it what it is like to include um at a team level you see you see teams operating in silos you see teams who don't get along and and I wonder I guess this is more of a question for you is is it a little bit like how you bring teams together in that you might be doing different things, you might have different areas of expertise, but in order for you to all succeed, it's about doing that together. Is that is that an approach that might work? In part, yes, I think so. I think that, yeah, that's fair to say, yeah. Is there anything you'd add to that? Well, you know, it's not so much expertise. It's 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 really a little bit deeper than that. It's it's perspective and point of view. You know, so behind our expertise are our lived experiences, right? Yeah. And so sometimes it can be difficult for a person to understand, you know, why a person feels a certain way or or is challenged in other ways. And so really, knowing more or learning about that lived experience. And 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 accepting that just as as data and not holding it against them, you know, is the, is the other part. But yes, I mean that's that's another facet of diversity. And um, from a also from an organizational um, perspective, is I work with a lot of organizations that aren't actually living and breathing their own organizational values. Mm. I kind of feel like foundationally, um, you need to just start to live and breathe what you're actually preaching and what you yeah. you believe you represent. Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. And I don't think that that's always, I, I don't think that it's intentional in most cases. I, I think that it's, it can be easy for people to uh, to have blind spots and and not to realize when something that they're doing for whatever reason is in conflict with with the values of the organization, and you know not knowing. It's when you it's when you know better and you don't change anything that we really have the challenges. We really have the issues. So, um, you know, the first part is about building awareness. And then once you've got awareness, it's about that um, willingness to to change and to try new things and to adapt. Exactly. Like I said, okay, so now that we know, what are we going to do with this knowledge? Yeah, yeah. And, and sorry, go. No, go ahead, please. Um, and then how do you make sure that in the times of stress and pressure and um you know, overload or overwhelm that you don't default back to, or that when you do default back, that you've got someone who can hold you accountable to that. Exactly. I think that it's got to be kind of built into the, to the fabric, you know, they've got to be guardrails and, and, you know, I don't want to overcomplicate this, but there's got to be accountability and you've got to be open to people holding up that mirror and saying, is this really consistent with what we said we wanted to do? You know, because you you reach some real forks in the road 
you know, and you, you get to places that you don't expect. Uh, and, and are you willing to continue in that direction? You know, we start talking about impacts on bottom line and all kinds of things. And then, then those are tough choices to make. And that's when you really, that's when you really get to know, you know, if people are who they say they are or who they profess to be. Do you think that, um, you know, cause one of the, one of the conversations that I'm having, um, a lot with leaders at the moment is before you get to holding someone accountable, there has to be enough time spent on, um, expectations and gaining commitment. And that that's, I think too often we do that at a collective level, but actually it needs to be done at an individual level. So I'm keen to hear your thoughts on that. I absolutely agree. Going back to what I said about changing hearts and minds, you know, I think it's important for, for you to uh, be clear about the expectations, but also understand how that's landing on others. All right. And, and, and for, you know, for the other person or people to, to have an opportunity to kind of weigh in on, on where they stand, what their point of view is, take all of that into consideration. I do think, though, and this is where decisions can really get to be very, very difficult, very challenging. I do think that, you know, it can lead us to some places that are that are uncomfortable. And I think that when you talk about accountability, you've got to be willing to make some difficult decisions. What do you say? Sorry. What do you say to leaders who really struggle with that awkwardness? Where do you stand? I mean, there really isn't a lot to say. If you want to achieve a level of diversity and inclusion, and these are the things that you have to do, but he's such a good whatever, and he's been with us for all these years, and he's done this, and he's done that, but he doesn't want anybody that doesn't look like him on his team. Okay. He doesn't want to hire any women. He doesn't want to hire any, you know, so how does that align with the values? How does that align with the things that you say this company stands for? It's not that hard. Mm. It's not that hard. Really connecting back. Yeah. Can you go, because I'm thinking about leaders who like to maintain harmony can you go from harmony to inclusions as a straight? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, let me straighten my face up. So <laughs> harmony, yeah, and leadership, and in, in you know, in general, I mean, I don't know that the two necessarily coexist, right? Not effectively, I don't think, but not effectively, not <laughs> effectively, yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what I mean. I mean, some people yield to harmony, and you know, just not ruffling feathers, upsetting the apple, whatever metaphor you want to use, you know, but it's difficult to do in most cases. I, I don't, I try not to speak in absolute, so not all cases, but that can be difficult to achieve. And so, you know, when you find out that, you know, you've, you've got this one person in a key role who really isn't with the the diversity and inclusion program, you know, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Exactly. You know, where, where do you, which, where do you stand? You know, what, 
what I don't want to say what side of you of the fence, but because it's not that cut and dry. But you know, what is what is where do you stand with regard to the impact that uh, this is having on the rest of the organization, or you know, the the outward facing image of the organization? Oh yes, you know, we believe in equal opportunity and all these things, and you write this glorious mission statement and you put all this stuff on your website and you got this one person in a senior role who clearly is not aligned with what all this says. So, so a choice. At a senior level, it is, um, you know, what are we, what are we willing to tolerate? And then what are we, yeah. Are we willing to follow through on what we don't want to tolerate? What are we willing to tolerate? What are we willing to reward? Right. So it's not what we say. It's it's in what we do. It really is in our behavior. Yeah. How do you see that coming to the surface when um, you've got leaders that manage perception really well at, you know, the peer level and, you know, up, but don't actually demonstrate that down? Um, yeah. Is that where 360s kind of are revealing or engagement surveys? I think that there's a limit to how much you can get to that in a 360, particularly an instrument. You can get some objective data, you can get comments. And then, you know, even though it's uh, anonymous, right, it's in the blind, people are, can be reticent to to share in a in a very meaningful way when it comes to the kinds of things we're talking about. I do think that uh, interviews and 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 uh, and engagement conversations are worthwhile. However, if if the culture is such that you know there's 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 not a demonstrated commitment to inclusion uh, and 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 the things we're talking about, I think that 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 people are going to uh, be reticent to to really share in a in a meaningful way, but going back to accountability, if you pay attention, it's not hard to see. If 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 you really look to see, you know, who is out in front, who is on key projects, who's giving presentations, who's you know really got the visibility. Uh, who's being supported for special projects and promotions and things like that? How does that align with their experience, their education, all these other things? It, it's really not hard if you just look. And I, and I find that in some cases, the easier thing to do, the easiest thing to do, the most convenient thing to do is just not to look. <laughs> you can't, you know, you, you don't find what you don't look to see, right? So... Or that you're um, looking, but you're too close and that, you know, when you're too close to it, there are justifications and you've got reasons and it all makes sense. You've got a pretty little package that you've kind of led yourself to believe. So, you know, I, I actually think that we still, based on that, have a way to go with awareness is can you build awareness when you step back to look at, you know, what does this look like to those that aren't actually in it day to day? And, and then start to kind of reflect on that. Okay, but I think that that, that really depends on a person's lens. And so it, 
again, going back to beliefs and, and I'll use the term schemas, right? If I believe at my core that uh, two people are different because one has a, a just one has on a blue shirt and the other one has on a green shirt. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've just accepted the fact that the person in the, the, the man in the green shirt is, is not as smart, not as capable, not as competent as, as the man in the blue shirt, then that's going to drive my way of thinking. That's, that's my judgment moving forward on everything. Okay. And so we talk about accountability. We talk about, you know, multiple levels of accountability. That's where it's so important. So when you talk about justification, I can easily look at that and say, yeah, but he would never have been able to do this because he's got on that green shirt, <laughs> right? Okay, so there's 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 so much, so much of this comes back to personal values and beliefs, okay, mm-hmm. which is which is why it's it's really important to be able to cast a wider net and that's where curiosity so am i looking at that and saying well that's just the way it is that's just the way it's always been or am i saying well is there is that is there truth to that is it possible that they could you know that they could be equally as as capable or as competent and that's where we begin to open things up mm-hmm. and you know that sounds like a really good tool for leaders is just having those kind of questions. You know, is, is that really the case? What else might it be? Um, you know, exactly. what, if it, what if it wasn't that? What if it was something else? Yeah. And then, and you hear all kinds of, well, I just assume, well, I just thought, well, you know, I was led to believe, or I never realized, you know, all of this, but so much of that is so deeply ingrained in, you know, how we've come to believe whatever it is we believe. Yeah, it actually, as a mum of three, scares the crap out of me. Um, thinking about, do I have, have I, am I raising my children to be neutral and curious and really open to that? Because my own upbringing in, um, you know, country Victoria, um, in the rural farming community, was very different to what it is now in Melbourne. You know, Melbourne's quite a diverse city and um, I feel like it's got a really good level of inclusion but I could be I could be wrong Um, but you know just trying to you know set my kids up for that and I find that they're asking the questions well what else could it mean what what do you think might be going on with this other child what do you know about them Um, fingers crossed hoping that it will change their minds along the way Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm well, you know, I can't imagine, hats off to you, I, I can't imagine what it's like to bring up small children now, you know, in, in this environment with so many things going on on so many levels. Uh, and and I, I think that the way we react and respond to children's questions today is vastly different than what would have happened, you know, many years ago. Because for the most part, you know, the short answer is don't, you know, just look the other way. Don't, don't worry yourself about that. And just, you know, uh, which for some heightens curiosity and for others, it makes them afraid. You don't, you know, you definitely don't want to do that. But I do think, um, you know, with regard to children, with all due respect, the sooner the better, 
because, you know, we, we talk about this a fair amount. Children in general, you know, they don't have any inhibitions. They, 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 they play together. They have fun at school. You know, they, they become friends. And it's not until the adults get involved. You know, the things get interesting, right? Why are you playing with this one? Where does he live? Where did, who are her parents? All these kinds of things. Not bad questions, but it's the judgment that comes along with it. Obviously, you want your children to be to be safe. Um, but you know, we don't we don't learn we learn these things, you know, we don't we're not born with these biases, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and so they're just huge opportunities to uh, hold a space for children, honor their curiosity, in my opinion, and, and, and let them come to their own feelings and, and in some cases decisions, you know, and then just kind of process that and not uh, use this, 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 this template and, and impose judgment and our own beliefs on them. And that's got to be very, very hard to do. I think uh, adults could probably learn from children in that respect if you can just observe their curiosity. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. For so sure. when um, when your child goes, Mom, why has that man only got one leg? You go, I don't know, sweetheart. Why don't you ask him? <laughs> and some some people would be open to it, you know, and others not so much. I think for most cases, you can, in the, many cases, you can, kind of sense that or assess that but uh yeah mm. so I have a final question for you um because I think that everything that we've spoken about it makes sense it's the holding the space for curiosity and really being open to other people's perspectives and how they see things we need to we need to take care of ourselves first or in parallel with that as well because I think if we're not taking care of ourselves then we become a little bit like well why do I care about you no one cares about me and I it's it's almost this it it's a hard conversation to have with someone and so you know as a leader it's like if someone's not looking after themselves you you might hear things like well why should I they don't do that for me or um I've got bigger problems than they have and you know that you get into this comparison space is do leaders kind of need to help people to help them like to look after themselves first I sort of think you know if you can be you can only be in service to others if you're looking after yourself but keen to hear your thoughts there's nothing more important than self-care, particularly now. And I think that, you know, we have set leaders up to fail in this area because there's this assumption and expectation that leader has to have all the answers. They have to know everything. They're always in service to others. And they're almost like these, you know, it's almost like being a droid, right? Like they don't, they don't have feelings. They don't have challenges. They don't have problems. And I think that the more a leader is willing to demonstrate that vulnerability. You say, you know, I've got, I've got things I've got to address too and, and not present themselves as this, this perfect being, right? And, and to show their, their human side, their humanity, the more they're able to, to connect with others. I talk a lot about authenticity and how important that is. So I think we've I think that for many leaders, and I'll say 
certainly many of my contemporaries who've, who've been in here, as you said, what did you say, a couple of decades? I'll, I'll take that. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, have, have got to really break the plate and be willing to think of themselves differently in, in, in leadership spaces and, mm -hmm. and not as these, you know, these beings who are just, uh, you know, know all and be all to everyone. Mm. Be kind to yourself so that you can be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Brenda, it's been such a fabulous conversation. Um, thank you for humoring all of my questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've asked some some really uh, interesting questions and and given me some more to think about for sure. So I'm grateful for that. Um, and I just, uh, you know, would, would, would challenge you and, and your listeners to uh, be curious and, you know, maybe just talk to someone or ask a question or learn from someone that you've not engaged with before. Just one person, you know, to, to begin to to move things in a, in a little bit of a different direction. I love that. I love talking to people I've never spoken to before, but um, yeah, definitely a challenge for some of our listeners for sure. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Brenda. Um, and thank you everyone for listening. I look forward to another Dynamic Leader conversation with you soon. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Dynamic Leader. There is no better time than now to work through your leadership and people strategy to establish what the future might look like for your business and how you might empower your people to help you succeed. It is through building the capability of your people and reducing their dependency on you that will keep you moving forward at pace and will see you remaining relevant in the future. I have worked with over 100 businesses across almost as many industries and seen firsthand the challenges that come with employing, engaging and managing staff. If you're looking to improve how you lead, why not reach out for a conversation? In the meantime, thanks so much for joining me and stay awesome.